This is Boy Park. We have Wami Kilpatrick in the news. Spitzer, record foreclosure. Oklahoma rids itself of illegal. Silverstein once more. Rabbi says hang children from trees. NPD Scudo Void charged over pamphlet. Blue Cross the selling defective bombs to Afghanistan. And Bear Stearns liquidated eight months before collapse. Returning to our top story tonight, Kwame Kilpatrick, the mayor of Detroit, is up on charges. The mayor faces eight felony charges, perjury, conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and misconduct in office, while Beatty faces seven counts. A nigger with a diamond in his ear who's running around and having an affair with his uh, chief of staff, and then uh, actually rather like Bill Clinton, using his security to cover up his shenanigans, and then when it gets found out, the city gets sued, and they wind up, you know, there are already bankrupt. Now they have to throw another $8.4 million to pay off these officers. So it's just kind of uh, it's kind of funny if you don't have to live around it, but increasingly as black spread, this kind of junk goes everywhere. Yeah, it says here, the whistleblower's lawsuit was brought by two police officers. The two police officers say they were unfairly disciplined because they looked into allegations of misconduct by Kilpatrick and his security detail, specifically for investigating claims that the mayor used a security unit to cover up extramarital affair. Yeah, part of that, Aegis, involved a big party at the mayor's mansion and there was some sort of imbroglio or something and uh, they all ended up at the hospital emergency room and a white EMS driver said that uh, he'd never seen such commotion. He said that they were all dressed quite well. You can imagine uh, dressed to the nines, these Negroes in, in Detroit with the earpieces and he knew that they were the mayor's security people. They came in private SUVs, or, or uh, I guess it's made to look as if they were private, but they're public vehicles. I mean, they're they're part of the uh, mayor's fleet, <laughs> if you will. And uh, the stripper involved, I believe it was a few weeks later, uh, she was uh, shot in a drive-by. I saw the video of that, and her, her, her car was hit. It was clearly, uh, looked to me like automatic weapons, and I think that's what they said in the video, if I remember correctly. So she's dead. <laughs> and the wife appeared, I believe it was the wife, appeared during the, uh, during the party unexpectedly, and she threw a big fit, you see. And uh, there was some sort of knockdown drag out, and so uh, I think it was the stripper was taken to the hospital. <laughs> it was a pretty big mess. And and um, that's just part of it, of course. That's just part of the drama. But in America these days, they, they love that. They, as long as they're getting the drama. And uh, as one nigger rapper said, that the white people want to see how we live. To them, it's a big show. And so we have to show them that. And that's what MTV has been doing for years and years now. And uh, that's exactly what they do. I watched a young white girl on live video today. She was featured on live video. You know, they have the new streaming. And she was a good-looking young white girl. And it was nothing but, uh, what was she talking about? She was talking with uh, niggerisms, you know, the usual black patois. And she mentioned Kalamazoo, which I found interesting. In fact, I typed in, uh, some of us were just up in Kalamazoo not long ago. And she was talking about, uh, I mean, uh, some guy uh, doing cunnilingus and then and, and, uh, and the female pissed in his face. I mean, this is a young girl, what, 19, 20 years old and featured on live video. So th- this is the kind of a denigrated America that they've built and is crumbling now. It, to me, it's very much interrelated to the to the uh, uh, Kwame thing because uh, this is a Michigan girl. And they're all over the United States. They're all over my space. This is how these kids are. They're, they're, they're like the walking wounded with their mental ability. 
possibilities. Yeah, they don't know anything other than black standards. And wherever you have blacks and they're being promoted through the Jewish media, it amplifies our actual numbers. So they might only be 13% of the population or even, you know, less. But as in that one song, I don't know who recorded it, you know, they seem like they're 99 because they're shown on TV and people we know are getting most of their information from TV. And it's not like they're getting any different uh, from the church or from the uh, schools. And so they think that's what normal is. And they don't know sure. any better. I mean, that, as they say, human civilization is only one generation deep. If it's not passed on to the next generation, it's not stuff they know instinctively. And I know a lot of older people have trouble understanding that because uh, they've said to me, that, uh, so we always make the point to them, the older you are, the more civilized in America you grew up in, the more you assume that younger people know what's right and know how they ought to act and are departing from it. But in fact, that's not the case. These kids don't know anything different. They don't. They didn't grow up in a civilized America. They grew up in America that was a mix of races in which sex purility, as I call it, uh, was the standard. The nigger has been normalized, and you the, can't. The, the appropriate norms have been imposed upon them and, and disoriented and, and recreated them in the image of Murray Rothstein. That's absolutely right, and we know that's the number one uh, TV show viewed by young girls and then uh, slightly older ones. Is is uh, is Murray Rothstein's Nickelodeon for girls like 5 to 12 and then MTV for you know 12 to 24. So the single yeah. biggest source of televised influence on these is coming from a rotten Jew. Well, then the entire media echoes it, Alex. This live video site I mentioned, this is not a uh, Picayune site there. It's it's a, something like 1.5 million people reach. And they featured this young girl, pretty blonde girl, saying the, the, these sorts of things to, to, to live streaming, you know, to lots of males and everything. And, and this is how virtually the whole uh, broad sweep of the United States, the great numbers of masses are. This is how uh, severely they're dumbed down. Maybe they know, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner how to comport themselves with a, with a bare modicum of dignity with their family. But but it's, uh, it's a people who have been beaten. They've been psychologically beaten down over many decades, and that is the state of the United States. And then people such as us who talk about it or draw attention to the facts of the matter are uh, ipso facto by those, those uh, <laughs> Jewish regulations, the, the evil ones, you know, by those social mores, which is a, a, another layer of bizarreness that they put upon it. Yeah, well, we have here another article about Kilpatrick. Kilpatrick, meteoric rise to falling star promise of Kilpatrick's political savvy pedigree fading under weight of text scandal. So again, this is a, you know, almost an Obama parallel with Kilpatrick. Uh, yeah. The PR is beginning to fade under the weight of uh, rampant reality. Yeah, well, Detroit's the uh, microcosm and the USA under abomination will be the macrocosm. So. They say tragedies don't begin tragically. They start with hope, which was on full display at the Marriott on election night 2001 with Kwame Kilpatrick sporting a bright smile and a piercing in his ear where a diamond used to shine. Well, you know, there's not one black politician in America who isn't up to something like this. They're all in time revealed to be criminals and it's always, oh, the great new black hope. You know, he's been trained in the right sociology and civic management and he's got his master's in public policy. Well, it always, in the end, they turn out to be a nigger. I mean, just like Mugabe over in Zimbabwe, they 
it doesn't matter how many honorary degrees they have from white institutions or real degrees, they ultimately are going to act black and, and blacks are going to keep voting for them and they'll ultimately keep on blaming whites for every problem that they have. It doesn't matter if there are any whites around or not. I mean, Mugabe in Zimbabwe, who just uh, underwent an election right before we recorded this, dispossessed the white farmers who were feeding the country and had made the country the breadbasket of the world, resulting in hyperinflation and no food available, and then he's still blaming whites for his problems. So there really isn't any way to deal with blacks or the uh, liberals who pretend that they're capable of living up to human standards. It's just they, they have to be avoided and power has to be taken from the uh, crazy Jews and leftists. 25 million Zimbabwe dollars over there for a tomato, Alex. I saw the note, and uh, the niggers are holding up a sign that says billionaires, uh, what is it, uh, starving billionaires. <laughs> they're going to be the richest country on earth in terms of billions of dollars. Well, they, they're, if you, exactly. If you go to Google Image and search Zimbabwe, you can find, you know, they show you a picture of a little neglet, and he's got two, you know, a foot-thick stack of bills that he's begged in the street. I mean, the, the money is worth nothing now. They had a 100,000% inflation rate in January. I'm sure it's higher than that now. Yeah. So they're having that Weimar inflation we always talk about. You know, he was the yeah. hip-hop mayor greeting political blue bloods with a chest-bumping embrace and telling white-haired business moguls to hit him on his Skytel page writer. Yeah, wow. It turns out that running actual human communities is a little more difficult than appearing in some stupid rap video. But in a democracy, everything is made to appear that anyone can do it and all opinions are equal, but that's not in fact the case. It was uh, Obama's father. Was at Harvard or Yale? He went to, I believe, Harvard. And uh, uh, I think Obama got what intelligence he has from his mother's family. But anyway, I, I wonder, I mean, you know, I used to go down Harvard Square. I went to a prep school out there and I would go into Harvard Square sometimes and uh, dream about going there, actually. But how in the world, even if he's there on a sports scholarship, how do they pretend that, that these guys are making these grades in that kind of an atmosphere? They just It's just a total uh, a pretension. It's like an open secret. It has to be. Because there's no way he's competing with these guys in Harvard and, and scoring reasonably. I'm trying to find. He, I believe he went to Harvard. I'm not absolutely sure about that, but I know we've talked about him before. Well, any, uh, of, these, uh, any of these top schools, they, they just, I understand sports figures, that they have a big pretension and they just grade them. I mean, they must actually tell these professors you have to pass him. Give him a C. Or something. They bring in, like, they specially groom uh, minorities who are better looking or more articulate than average, and they treat them like they do congressmen. They bring them in for their special training, and sure. they can get rid of any, or, you know, abandon any standards they want if they think it's it's they're going to be able to produce a generation of leaders. Just like Marion Barry was originally a chemist and had some kind of training, uh, but uh, in the end, it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, like I said about Mugabe, he was trained in Jesuit schools. He went to, I think, the London School of Economics, and he ended up with about seven degrees and three honorary degrees. It doesn't matter, though. In the end, it doesn't change what they are or how they act. Like Superman, and Kilpatrick often seemed larger than life. He rolled through the city in a black Escalade with what, in 2002, was the largest mayoral security team in the nation. Well, yeah, and see, they, they cover him as though he's a hip-hop star or in a rap video, but why don't they put it in a different context and say, you know, he is just merely the latest in a long line of black leaders that uh, ultimately failed. And, and even to say ultimately failed pretty much off the bat and, and straightforward. And, and they never put him in the correct context. And that's a sign of having a controlled media. If you didn't have a controlled media, you'd still have segregation. But the controlled media pushes segregation or pushes desegregation through forced racial mixing. And it, it this over time, you end up with these black politicians 
politicians, but it can't cover them accurately because it would put the lie to, to segregation or being immoral and, and integration being moral. So they never put the failed black politician in context, which is basically all black, black politicians fail. And it doesn't matter because blacks vote for them because they're black. It doesn't show you that every one of these black majority cities is extremely violent and essentially bankrupt, whether it's D.C. or Detroit or Zimbabwe or East St. Louis. They all have exactly the same problems. Or uh, Obama's 13th ward in Chicago. That's right. I saw Obama in uh, Eugene, Oregon in a video. You know, that's where uh, Ken Kesey's wife, Nancy, made the yogurt. I guess that was some sleepy hippie town years ago, and now the... uh, children and grandchildren of those people were screaming for Obama as he entered this big auditorium and the Secret Service contingent had, I believe it was three out of six uh, were Negroes. So that's not in proportion to their numbers in the society. So maybe Obama is going to have the same thing. And also he was elected where Louis Farrakhan's mansion is and, and the whole nation of Islam is, is uh, I guess, based. 13th district right there. And they say that no one can be elected in that district without uh, the muscle of Nation of Islam, even though there are uh, theological differences, uh, one would think, between Jeremiah Wright and uh, Louis Farrakhan's religion. Nonetheless, on the black supremacy issue, they, they agree. So uh, after Obama's the president of the United States and these things come out and, and he starts radically changing the amount of aid that, that uh, people give, the United States people give Africa, that'll be another boondoggle. We've already seen Gates and Buffett give away their tens of billions between them to uh, Africa. And Americans have been primed, again, by Jewish thought systems to believe that this makes them morally good and this is what they must do, should do, can do, will do. That's what left. Hey, Craig, I'm, I'm reading here on Wikipedia. Kilpatrick uh, says he's a Bachelor of Science in Political Science and a teaching certificate at Florida A&M, and I believe that's a traditionally black college. And he is a he's a JD, that means a lawyer, from the uh, Michigan State, but has never practiced law. Faces eight felonies, each with maximum possible prison terms of five to 15 years. The Detroit City Council passed a resolution asking Kilpatrick to resign, and calls for his ouster are likely to only increase with him facing felony charges. But, but Aegis, with a jury of 10, 10 Negroes and two whites, or uh, an all-black jury in Detroit, what does that mean? I mean, it's, it's back to Sam Francis's anarcho-tyranny. All of these terms and... and Penalties are meaningless in the uneven application of law to where potentially and very really whites who commit uh, so-called hate crimes with an added 10-year sentence are, are serving far more time than someone such as this this uh, Boone. And, uh, quote, I look forward to a complete exoneration, end quote, he said after the charges were announced. Yeah, that's a little redundant. That's what exoneration means. But, uh, yeah, he, he this is not the first thing he's had. I mean, just looking at Wikipedia, he had... Uh, let's see, he charged something like a couple hundred thousand dollars in food, lodging, entertainment expenses over the first couple of years of his administration. Uh, you, they just, they're not making any distinction between their personal use of funds and, and the, the funds that they have as the, the manager of the city. But And then when they get caught, they blame racism, even if there's no whites around in Detroit. The whites have pretty much fled since the riots back that we used to have Yankee Jim talk about back in the 60s. Drove the whites out of Detroit, which used to be the, what do they call it, the Paris of middle America? something like that. They had all the big car factories operating in really ornate buildings. So Still great architecture there, but it's just decrepit. So. Well, yeah, it's all it's all squatted or destroyed, vandalized. Right. The people aren't there. At one time, one of the most innovative and wealthy cities in the entire United States with Henry Ford right there with the assembly line production, the Packard land, all of those automobiles being built uh, at that time. It was definitely one of the more progressive cities in the entire world. And 
and, and, and yet cash flow to match. Ages as openly and obviously as the, these facts are known to white nationalists, and as many times as we repeat them about Detroit and with Detroit's crap uh, website and so forth, still and all, uh, we're made to be uh, seen as the most radical uh, tellers of untruths and and unrealities that uh, walk the face of the planet. It's unbelievable. I mean. <laughs> Frothing at the mouth haters, Jake? Yeah, absolutely sure. irrational. And all we're doing is speaking fact about this, and especially in places like South Africa and Detroit, where uh, D.C., St. Louis, you name it. And the best they will do is say that's the result of uh, centuries of oppression by Whitey. I mean, that's about the best they can roll out these days, which even that isn't well, much, the, because that's arguable. And the thing is, this, goes, this kind of financial chicanery and corruption extends wherever black political power extends. And let me tell you, when we had the rally in Kalamazoo, I drove up from where I am in Missouri. You have to drive up, essentially, use outskirts Chicago and then drive around the southern part of Lake Michigan and then up into, uh, uh, into Michigan through Indiana. And let me tell you, there's more blacks around there than I would have believed. Uh, you you know how from Chicago you go over to there's sort of Gary that's always been a famous uh, nigger town and then uh, but but even around there past there up into Michigan there are plenty of blacks around there on that uh, eastern side of the of Lake Michigan more than I would have thought I would have thought that was white and rural but it's really a uh, uh, more uh, racially mixed than heartland kind of white farmer types you would have thought so there's more more and more blacks and there'll be more and more politicians like this and again the, the key here is you the, the problem is the problem but the real problem is you can't deal with the problem because you can't describe it accurately like we are here. That's why we do this show to put stuff like this in the proper context. And the proper context is blacks aren't fit for self-rule. Nowhere at no time ever in history have they demonstrated that they can run uh, a simple town competently. And that's why whites require a 100% divorce from blacks politically. That's what would be in our interest. That's what would be good for whites, which is our sole concern here. You know, we don't need these people around. We certainly don't want to be bossed around by them. And now we face the prospect of a black being president. And they've got one who's a little, you know, he's half white. So he's a little more articulate than your average black. So he can plausibly represent the fiction that you see on TV of the noble Negro who's going to heal us and bring everything together with his superior spirituality and his hip hoppiness. But the reality in the end, the same old thing, you know, they're they're not capable of uh, running cities, let alone running the country. And they they very much have an axe to grind. If you saw, you know, Obama's speech about race, it's the same old shakedown of whitey. Ultimately, whites have no complaints against blacks, but blacks have plenty of legitimate complaints against whites, and we better pay them or they'll riot. It doesn't matter how unthreateningly he says it. The message is exactly the same as the the radical ones. We're guilty and they're innocent. We owe them, but we don't owe them. Their hip-hoppiness at the church, though, and the Trinity Church there in Chicago is pretty inspiring on one level. If you like that sort of comedy, I enjoy that. I like to watch that video, and uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but but they're singing, and then then they're singing. What's the refrain, Aegis? Do you recall what it is? No, no, no! Not God bless America! God damn America! Anyway, they're hopping around, they have a choir singing, they've got a conga drummer and a guy shaking a gourd, and... I didn't watch it, but I know, I know the import of it. He's right about a lot of things, but of course, you know, he hates whites, but then again, he lives in a, like, totally white area. Yeah, and he wears and these, ha- these traditional black uh, costumes that really are only <laughs> worn by crazy American blacks. Uh, yeah, they can't take cloth and the, yeah, the they, shiki or whatever. It's about yeah. as African as Kwanzaa. But in yeah. the height of fashion in 1968 or 9. Mary and Barry wore that stuff, too. Yeah, they wear the, the can't take cloth. Yeah, uh, it, was a, it was a regular jig 
Jamboree. And uh, his his great line was, uh, God damn. People say, God bless America. I say, God damn America. No, no, no. And, uh, he's, he's right about the Zionism, though, as Alex was uh, was uh, alluding to. And, and and there's a little bit of irony there, because that's one thing that might uh, pull Obama down. But I don't even think even Zionism can, can stop uh, America's nigger mania if they get on the tangent to you know, for the, this this guy. God damn America! It, it's a sign of where they feel the power lies, that he wouldn't back off from this guy. He said, ultimately, I will, you know, I'll stick with him. I'm not going to abandon him. That's a sign that they believe. Well, Whereas Alex, they can get whites. Well, Alex, has been in the church for 20 years. Well, yeah, I know. But, I mean, whites will back off of anything. If there's any little charge of racism, they'll abandon someone immediately. Whereas here, have you have this nigger going off against whites, and uh, this guy who's running for president won't even back off of him or renounce him. I mean, he'll kind of distance himself from the state but not really if you read what he says and that's a sign that they think they can basically say and get away with whatever they want yeah because being a black man in america is just so difficult it's it's such a they got the experience the key is they have the media on their side you don't need anything else really than the media and if you have the media and the courts on your side you can do about whatever you want get away with these ridiculous double standards because it's never reported yeah. accurately god damn america you know to tell you guys uh, some more background about this this guy uh of course, he, he was born and grew up in Honolulu, and he went to Punahou, which is at the base of Tantalus Mountain, and it was a, a, a school where the uh, Hawaiians used to send the elite, they were called the royalty, but anyway, they were really not royalty, they were just people the missionaries uh, decided were uh, educable, and... Uh, Anyway, he went to that school, and his grandmother was the first bank vice president in the state, although she's white. Uh, even for her to be in that state uh, that early and be the first uh, woman vice president of a bank was quite early. And now, she lives at the, the corner. Typical white woman uh, grandmother. Mm, no, this is the, the again the, his grandmother. His 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 mother was often several husbands or, or a couple anyway. One that was in Indonesia, I think, but. No, she wasn't typical. Referred to her as a typical white woman. No, she was uh, uh, the thing. Her name is uh, Madeline. uh, What was her surname? Madeline uh, Dunn something. I think she wasn't typical. I mean, they they said uh, people who wrote about her. She was highly intellectual for a woman and so forth, and very uh, iconoclastic. They said. But anyway, he lived with her a long time, and and right there, it's a it's a building with big banyan trees in front of it, at the corner of a Baratania and Punahou, about three blocks from Punahou School, and she still lives there. And uh, I drove this guy one time, and, and I remembered it as soon as I saw it jogged my brain when I uh, when I saw the address where she lived. I looked it up, you know, four one one or something. And the Chicago paper wrote about it. They, they named uh, her name, and I looked it up. But uh, because no no nigger in those days, this was be uh, he would have been twenty one, I was thirty one, and, and and no way that one went to Punahou. And I remember talking to the guy. We sat and talked a while. Uh, he held me in Waikiki anyway. Uh, and he was very glib and very uh, uh, cautious. You know, you would say something and he would think and look, but very fast with words. And, of course, I was 10 years old or so, you know, I, and I mentioned I'd gone to a prep school. And we talked about it. I said, why is it no one here will admit? I'd only been there a few years at the time. Why, well, no one here will admit that they have a lot of uh, racism in Hawaii. And he said, uh, he, I said, they do have it, don't they? And he said, yes, they do. Absolutely. He said, they're very racist. He, he just told me right off the bat, which was phenomenal, that, that somebody from that state born there, even though he was black, would admit that. And especially that he went to Punahou, he would admit that, because then he's in the like the ruling elite. Punahou and Iolani are the two top prep schools by far. Most people would say Punahou uh, originally was the more prestigious, although Iolani became more for uh, intellectual acumen, I think, these days. But anyway, 
Um, and, and he was right into that subject. He, he liked that subject. <laughs> Who set those schools up originally? Uh, the uh, missionaries did from Connecticut. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they so, set them up. So what do they yeah. have? Like mostly whites, but then they have uh, elite local Hawaiians? and. Well, that, that's what some of the... In fact, that's what he and I talked about. Because, yeah, now it's it's kind of morphed to where if you're a local family and you have power, they're, they're not so many whites. They're only 33% whites there, even less nowadays. But uh, a lot of Japanese go there, and they have a thing called William S. Richardson Law School up at... Uh, UH, and UH is where uh, Obama's father went to school at the JFK uh, Center right there across in the theater. He probably stayed there and banged this 18-year-old white girl from Kansas, Obama's mom. But, uh, yeah, so now they have a lot of Japanese who go there, and there have been scandals after uh, scandal after scandals because some of them who to go to William S. Richardson, uh, at least at the time when I was talking to Obama, that's been 25 years ago, literally spoke only pidgin English. And uh, you would see them on the news, and they'd be flat-out lawyers, and they were beating whites into the law school, see? <laughs> and you'd say, well, gee, you know, what's wrong with this picture? You know, law, you have to know quite a bit about the, the uh, spoken and, and, and written words. <laughs> so... Uh, he he just admitted that out front. He knew all about it, and I remember his name was Barry too. I even remember because I told my friend. I said I mean I drove this uh this black named Barry, and I said maybe his dad's Jewish or something. It's unbelievable. I mean that would be like it'd be like uh, meeting a spaceman. In those days, it just did not exist in in the state of Hawaii. So he grew up under anomalous uh, conditions uh, to the extreme degree. So he wasn't and, uh, in the thirteenth ward of Chicago. No no no. He went there, and and he went. Uh, and the early bios, uh, before when, when he got elected to the Senate, they said he uh, got a job. He sent out resumes all over, and uh, he got a job doing some sort of community activist work. Of course, that's what they always call it, and, and that's uh, <laughs> racial organization is what Civil that transcribes rights. to in English language, yeah. Communist uh, agitation. Right. If a white were doing community activism, it wouldn't be called uh, pro-white work, but, but that's what he was doing, and he was doing it in the poor part of Chicago. Well, that's literally... literally Literally, the south side of Chicago. I've watched Otis Moss, the new uh, preacher for that church, and he, his videos are on YouTube, and he says it right there. We're in the south side of Chicago. You know the old Jim Croce song? And bad, yeah, bad sure. Leroy Brown, the baddest man in the whole damn town. <laughs> Badder than old King Kong and meaner than a junkyard dog. This is the fucking place, people. You got it? The fucking south side of Chicago. So he was and there and 20 the- years after that. Yeah, he was there 20 hmm. years listening to this shit. Nation of Islam's Sink running the district. In, in you know, black like they do, supremacism. They, yeah. yeah. They run HUD contracts all over the country, this nation of Islam, too. You know, these, these big, uh, beefy guys, I guess, who were bred by slave masters to be, uh, you know, like uh, big junkyard dogs is what they were done. <laughs> Eugenics. And, uh, yeah, it's a mess. This is the America. So Detroit's, uh, Detroit is what uh, the United States is going to morph into on a national scale when this guy becomes the president, no matter what they say. Because clearly he has racial preference ideas and black supremacy ideas. They're just all over the place. And he just completely completed practically the entire run for the nomination, and the national media wouldn't touch it. They wouldn't reveal these things. You think they didn't know these things in Chicago and the media? They knew them backwards and forwards. So they knew he, all these facts. He was facts. seeped in the mo- one of the most hateful black communities uh, west of Harlem for 20 years. Yeah, Listening to this, to this uh, Pastor Wright and uh, yeah. Mau Mau and African this yeah. and black yeah. value system that. Yeah. Well, the antipode with that, I mean, we should be able to make Alex Linder president on that basis. I mean, you know, why not? <laughs> <laughs> 
You see what I mean? Fair is fair. They're yeah. really just a, the mirror image in a way of what we're saying, except, of course, the, the, they're doing a the total irresponsibility. And then the black race has no histories of accomplishment the way the white race does. So it's, it's really, uh, but in terms of favoring uh, one's own people, uh, they do what they do just as uh, so-called radically as we do. And the people in the middle in that pudding mishmash are the fucked up ones, the ones like that girl in Kalamazoo there that was on the live video and all these other kids and all the uh, junk media that, that constantly hide these truths. You know, Craig, there, yeah, that's some good history there. And there's also, I'm looking at another article here on Kilpatrick and some of the background. It, you know, it's not just that, and maybe you mentioned this before, it's not just this sex crime, but it's kind of the tip of the iceberg. And, and if they get into his text messages, they're saying that basically there was a stripper who was killed after a party at his mansion. And possibly there was even a second one that was also killed because they're saying there was someone else tracked down in Atlanta and shot with the same type of gun. And uh, they're, they, uh, the son of one of the strippers named Green is trying to get into the text messages of Kwame that I guess came up through this allegation of him, you know, fooling around with his chief of staff. And so what does this guy say here? This is from World Net Daily, Black Guy, Ellis Washington article, calling all criminals come to Detroit, March 20th, 2008. Uh, what does he say? He says, uh, he's basically comparing the way Kilpatrick operates to a gang where you have to, the final act to get into the gang is commit some kind of crime, so they hold it over you, and he's saying that's how Kilpatrick's uh, deal is organized. It's essentially black political powers organized as a criminal gang, just like you see Mugabe has his henchmen beating up any opposition candidates, sure. torturing people. This guy says the mayor knew the political and legal heat he was under when he appointed uh, Bully Cummings, that's a last name, police chief in November 2003. By that time, it had been over a year since his mysterious party at the Manugian Mansion in October of 2002. So six years ago, the mayor, Kwame, with the earring, threw a party, uh, a party the police chief of Southfield, Michigan, was invited to, but wisely declined, a party that was investigated by Deputy Police Chief Gary Brown, Lieutenant Alvin Bowman, Harold Nelthorpe, Nelthrope, and Nelthrope's one of the ones who accused him of uh, this latest thing. So I was trying to find if he was black or white. I don't know. Uh, but there, there's like three officers that are accusing uh, Kwame right now. Uh, and barred by Bully Cummings when the investigation got too close to his honor. So, uh, in fact, the very day Officer Brown's investigation memo regarding the mayor's Manugian mansion party was to become public, one of the three dancers at the party, Tamara Strawberry Green, was viciously murdered as she and her boyfriend sat in a car at the corner of Roselawn and Outer Drive, literally around the block from where the black writer grew up in the 60s to 80s. A second dancer at the party, which the mayor and Michigan Republican Attorney General Mike Cox still insist was a, quote, urban legend, was tracked down to Atlanta and reportedly killed with the same 40 caliber police-issued weapon. All this drama for a party that never happened? Like my grandmama used to tell me, boy, where there's smoke, there's fire. So that's what's actually going on in Detroit and starting to unravel a little bit. And this is in the context of a city that is bankrupt. It's entirely black. And the, the fantastic hip-hop mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick, has gotten rid of hundreds of, you know, veteran police officers. And he's unable to fill the vacancies because, uh, you, you know, you can't find any niggers that are qualified that aren't criminals themselves. And the, the greater context is you got a media that's not going to report any of this as a racial problem, which is exactly what it is. It's just blacks being blacks. And the only thing whites are able to do, because they don't have any real political powers, to flee the area. And in Detroit, that means get out past eight-mile drive, I guess. Probably more like 15-mile drive at this point. But, uh, <laughs> I thought you said the east coast of Lake Michigan or something. <laughs> well, they, yeah, and even even there, you know, I mean, you can go north in Michigan. I'm just pointing out that it's not just niggers in, as you said, south side of Chicago, and then a little ways to the east, Gary, Indiana, as you go around the south part of the lake, but it's even up beyond that into Michigan. And then, you know, probably in a ways. I don't, I don't even know. You'd have to see a whole map of the place.
place. But black populations expand over time because uh, they have so many uh, illegitimate kids that each generation is, you know, uh, larger than the last. So you have these black politicians talking about how bad America has been to blacks. Well, they only they only ever brought. I think Buchanan claimed. I've seen that they. I've seen the claim that they brought. Oh, I don't know, like nine million blacks were brought to the Americas, and maybe three million of them went to the U.S. But then again, I saw Buchanan claim in an article recently that. Only about 600,000 blacks were brought to the U.S. And out of that, they've, de- they've developed 35 to 40 million people. So America hasn't been that bad to blacks. Which makes sense, because even now, if you look at countries like Uganda, uh, which only now are starting to, to reach certain levels of infrastructure and medicine, they're projected to have, I think there's something like 10 million, they're projected to have 60 million by 2008. I'll give you an example. When I was in college 20 years ago, uh, and I wrote about South Africa. At that point, uh, there were about 30 million South Africans, of which I think like, you know, 5 million were white. Well, what is it today? There are like 40 million South Africans 20 years later, and 4 million of them are white. So the population of these nigger areas just goes up over time. Yeah. And that's purely due to the white man's medicine. Because as we see in Zimbabwe, they can't even, <laughs> in Zimbabwe, the population's gone down by about 4 million. They got about 12 million people there, and, you know, 4 million of them have left, more or less, because they don't want to starve to death. So blacks can't run cities, towns, states, or countries. And most blacks exist because of white medicine and technology. But they don't thank us for it. Well, part of that, if I could just go off a little bit about that, Alex, is uh, it's familiar with racialists, is is that uh, they're made so uncomfortable by the sheer number of accomplishments of whites. I mean, it's not lost on them, all of these things in in science, history, architecture, and everything. So they they know that the comparison is there, and uh, it must be profoundly uncomfortable. It would be like, uh, you know, existing in a world where where everyone has an IQ of 200 and 210 or something, in in a Mm -hmm. way. I mean, you, you would be profoundly cognizant of the uh, the contrast and that would be a, a constant source of uh, angst to your uh, you know psyche so that's another reason for separation to to allow people to be who they are that's why the the blacks in detroit seem to really enjoy it there and the same in atlanta and the same in uh, uh, compton and the same uh, wherever they are together houston new orleans uh, philadelphia yeah, yeah that's right mm-hmm. else why would they stay together yeah. yeah well turning to the east coast we have uh Elliot Spitzer in the news, uh, a, a Jew, governor of New York, of a long line of Jews in New York. But uh, here's the story. Federal investigators have developed information that the prostitute, whom Elliot Spitzer is said to have met in Washington last month, has some relationship with a man who the authorities contend is an associate of organized crime, according to people with knowledge about her. It is unclear on Friday whether the investigators had determined the precise nature or timing of the relationship when it's 22-year-old woman and the reputed organized crime figure, a building contractor now under federal indictment in a separate case in Brooklyn. In any case, this is just uh, further uh, further information on this scandal involving Elliot Spitzer and uh, his resignation. Yeah, there's a new woman now, too, uh, uh, some white with uh, big tits from somewhere in uh, California. I guess she grew up, the, they said, in a trailer park, and so she went to New York City, and uh, they have her up on an $8 million, she was running a hooker ring. But Spitzer's uh, original pimp was an Israeli. I don't know if you have his name on your on your uh, monitor there, Aegis, but I've forgotten. I, I think he uh, he had a 21 or 22-year-old girlfriend. I think he's about 62 years old or something. And you, you can't help but wonder if this fellow might not have had uh, connections to uh, Israeli mafia. And they said that also some of the Goldman Sachs people definitely wanted Spitzer to fall. And... Uh, 
you know, when, when you're in the centers of power in, in a place like New York State, a lot of powerful people would keep their eye on uh, what you're doing. And so he was clearly subject to blackmail or, or pressure from from various entities to do things. Or uh, yeah, he wasn't going to quit. He said it was no. It was just uh, he, in fact, he gave some pretty comedic. Uh, responses. Uh, he showed up some school and some little niglet said, uh, I think I'll call you, what did he say, fool. <laughs> you know, a little six-year-old or something. After the scandal, I think, and uh, fool, I mean, it's pretty funny because the, the uh, a clown, that was it, a clown. <laughs> and, and it sounded like was, he heard his parents talking about it, you know, in front of the TV or something. Pretty funny. Kept insisting he was going to call Spitzer clown. Yeah, Spitzer quit. And, uh, you know, his family was worth a half a billion dollars, I read. So here's a guy with a lot of power who is uh, obsessed with more power and money and uh, constantly double dealing even those hookers I guess he, there's some question that he used state money to pay him at uh, what was it $5,000 an hour or something so as wealthy as he was in fact that was part of the deal if he'd quit maybe they wouldn't prosecute him so these kind of deals in fact I'm, I'm getting sick of covering on Goyfire but what can we do it, it, it's a all the signs are there that it's a, it's a society in utter collapse and, 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 and fall morally at least and economically too at this point in many respects although there's there's still some strength to the institutions and uh, some production facilities, at least in the sciences. And, but it's pretty dismaying to see your country after uh, all the promise, you know, after post-World War II, where I grew up in that time period, and for it to come to this and not more people to speak truth about what's going on. It's just just really dismaying. Yeah, well, how about his uh, replacement is a blind black man who has admitted to drug use and, and extramarital affairs. Yeah, he, he, he likes his cocaine. He does everything. I, I, I've been joking I said he probably plays harmonica too. It's unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> He's blind. I mean, come on. Could they find a, a, a black person that could actually see? Yeah. Well, these are the, these are the extremes to which um, Americans will go to prove that uh, anyone can do anything, and and and, and that there's virtually no difference between one human being and another. They're, they're just the extremes of, of Jewish. Uh, uh, ridiculousness in the social sciences carried to uh, the nth degree. We're not going to see any end of it. It's going to get worse, I guess. You wouldn't think so, right? But yeah. I mean, you would think the, the one guy who, who's supposed to be the leader of an entire state, most fit individual to govern that state, is in fact a blind black. Is yeah. that what we're led to believe in uh, the Wall Street well, I, I Journal, we, the I, New York Times? I, tell you, I hope we have an illegal story today, because I was just remembering in the 70s and 80s, remember all the Jewish experts and Dershowitz and these kind of people would be all over your TV saying how these Mexicans just want to come here and work. And, and, and how many whites say, that's right, they sure do, you know, they, she's got a good point. And on and on and on. And, and now, finally, they're waking up to that, although it's taken a great long many decades, I guess three, two of them very intense. And uh, they, they seem to be able to foist these uh, fallacies off on tens of millions of white people uh, to their utter ruination with very little reaction until after all the damage, you know, the dikes busted. So that's why we need our own media, which is what we're doing, but to, to controvert that. And we seem to be making some progress on the, on the Internet, uh, a lot of progress, I know we are, but I mean... They've had one of these things after the other. The first one, or one of the first ones, was that women are our equals in, in terms of uh, intellectual acumen and, and uh, uh, you know accuracy on, in, uh, in the corporate world and so forth. And a lot of people still insist that that's so. And they might have their place in pediatrics or something if they're a super genius woman. Huh? Yeah. Well, Alex, did you manage to catch this story at all with Spitzer? What's your take on it? Uh, I don't have too much of an opinion on it. Uh, what I noted was the libertarians were noting the irony of how he was caught. I think they're... You know, 
you know, the feds are basically spying on him through his email and whatever. So the security state that he helped to put in place and his type, Kikes put in place, uh, tripped him up through his uh, personal dealings. Yeah, you know, we just don't need to look at that, that tipped were, were tipped off because he was moving money around and they thought he was bribing people or something like that. And uh, it turned out he was. Yeah, well, they have since they've since they passed the, the Patriot Act and these other various acts that empower the executive, they've enacted ever tighter financial control so that if you, maybe I've said this on earlier Goy Fires, if you go into a bank and try to open like a checking account or a business checking account, they will overtly ask you, are you going to be doing international money transfers, uh, wire transfers? They will ask you about, I don't know, four or five different specific things without knowing what kind of business you're going to do or whatever. And you're like, well, why are you asking me this kind of thing? Well, we have to because of the Patriot Act. (laughs) Yeah. And it's already been the case for a number of years. They have to file something whenever you move more than about ten thousand dollars but now it's even less than that it's nine or eight thousand and they're basically supposed to look for anyone who's evading it also if you want to read about this stuff read james bovard he's a columnist he's also written a few books about this this kind of thing essentially it's, it's one of the marxist planks which is uh complete financial controls on any kind of capital leaving the country they want to know where every last penny is and once you understand that you can plot out what they're going to try to do they want to know who you're they're they're jews they're essentially they're paranoid and what form does that take well it means using all available technology to track anyone who might potentially become their enemy and so the adl trains the cops to think about people the same way the jews do that is any white male who's into privacy and then living his own life is a potential threat he's an extremist he's a he's a hater you need to watch him you need to know where all of his money is and you need to know what he's doing at every hour of the day so all the technology is geared to that end now this happened to be a jew caught up in their web somehow they figured out that he was, you know, using prostitutes or whatever, doing some kind of malfeasance. To me, it's not particularly interesting, but, uh, you know, it's a d- typical Sopranos type stuff. You know, the, the Kike attorney general is is using some prostitute who has ties to the mob. And uh, what are you going to say? We don't need to live in a country with Jews in it anymore. than we do need to w- live in one with Kilpatrick's in it. <laughs> you know, Kwame Kilpatrick's. If there are white and Irish, that's fine. But we don't we don't need niggers with diamonds in their ears and we don't need Kikes, you know, using call yeah. girls. As our attorneys general. Yeah, well, we also have uh, on the economic front, analysts predict that as many as 2 million homeowners could enter foreclosure this year, caught by a slowing economy, falling house prices, and in many cases, adjustable mortgages, with rates rising from high to higher. In Las Vegas, 1.9% of homes in the Las Vegas area were in the foreclosure process in January, almost triple the rate of a year earlier, according to First American Poor Lodging, the Santa Ana, California real estate and mortgage data. So uh, this is actually a story of guys who go around bribing people not to trash the whole house after foreclosure. Um, yeah, well, it, it makes sense. If they're not going to live up to their loan, why are they going to? Why are they going to depart the, the the premise they can't pay for? It's just most of these resolve back into some kind of a moral problem. And uh, I, I guess one of the lessons here is if your house goes up in value, like it, it goes from a hundred thousand to four or five hundred thousand you might want to think about cashing out right then because unfortunately the whole psychology is against it but it doesn't go on forever and you know a house is a depreciating asset and if you don't think that's true you take a look at a house one of these houses that's unoccupied and look how fast it degrades there's a lot of money required to go into upkeep the house now like i say a lot of these little itty bitty houses uh you know that are that are worth you know fifty thousand 
thousand or a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand through all of this easy credit made available by the Jews like Bernanke at the Fed and through the uh, through the giant banks uh, their houses came to be overvalued as people got into speculation and then took giant loans against what they thought was the everlasting value or uh, price of the thing and now that the housing prices have gone down they're being foreclosed and in a rage they're trashing the places as the article we're talking about it says and uh, it's so common that they they have you know they're used to it they basically pay people to do what's right which is just leave the house and not trash it because you know uh, light switches Americans they want to trash it (laughs) as they leave light switches outlet covers and thermostats were smashed there was what looked to be a crowbar damage along the staircase a large pool of paint had hardened on the living room carpet appeal appeared that someone had dripped motor oil in a trail that wound its way through every carpeted room the appliances were gone as were most light fixtures a cabinet door had been removed and left soaking in a full tub of water not a wall was left without a hole including the pink child's room once carefully decorated with floral wallpaper the the video on that age just said that 50 percent of of these houses these vacancies are trashed so this again speaks to the moral uh, turpitude and a decline of the united states and and further they said that in the las vegas area right there in las vegas not just the area between 150 and 200 homes are sold uh, there every day you know by the county or the city authority whoever's uh, overseeing the auction so every day between 150 and 200 and 95 percent of those 95 out of every 100 go remain unsold and uh, one guy who goes and, and offers them the, this money said that uh, he paid one fellow 2800 and the fellow said uh, it would be in the bank's interest to to uh, to pay me mm-hmm. to the max and so forth. And, and he said that yeah. some people have poured concrete, uh, you know, cement down the toilet. So this is how fucked up the country is. And these are some of the same assholes who are calling us racist and saying how terrible we are. So fuck you people who think that. You know, we're tired of dealing with you. You're some of the, 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 the self-same people who are really morally, really superior. Go right to hell. Yeah, and there, we know yeah there's are. no there's no connection between people except money under a hyper capitalist system. Yeah, Jewish America. That's right. That's in what the Protestants the country. For. So so you know they don't feel any connection to the bank. The banks the bank's not a local bank. It's a national bank. The bank doesn't care about their creditworthiness. It's just trying to make money itself. So fuck you. Fu- oh yeah, fuck you. So that's what we have a whole cycle of fuck yous going around. You know here. But they're not even worried paragraphs. about going to jail about it. Not even worried about the no. They, they don't care. Has too many of them, I guess. They don't care. I mean, that's it. You know, that, that attitude is, is no one feels any connection to anyone else. So fuck you. I'm going to use you for whatever I can get out of you and then uh, abandon you. But here, here in two paragraphs is what went on. And this is a microcosm of the entire country and a lot of the West. All right. The owner, a 43-year-old man with two children, spoke in the condition his name not be used, says he bought the property in 93 for 140000 Three years ago, he had the house appraised in 2005 for 440000 So from 140000 to 440000 And he took took out a $200,000, $207,000 home equity loan to pay off credit card bills and buy his wife a new van. His initial payments were an affordable $1,800 a month. He fell behind, however, after he went through a divorce and his landscaping business faltered just as his interest rate was rising. He worked out a payment plan with a bank. He borrowed heavily from his father, but including penalties, his monthly payments rose to $4,000. And after two months, he ran out of money and the bank foreclosed. So there you go. Yeah, now, I remember that boom. Man, man. He, he he could have 
if I guess we can teach white people, look, if you're in a hundred forty thousand dollar house that suddenly is worth four, is suddenly is priced at four hundred forty thousand, you might want to just sell that instead of right? taking a loan. Right? Sell that. Don't take a fucking loan on it. You have to pay loans back. I mean, sell the house. Take the the three hundred thousand in profit. Use a hundred thousand to pay off your bills. Use ten thousand to buy a car for your wife, and fucking stick the rest in the bank. How fucking hard is it? But the the psychology of it is, you know, oh well, it went up to four hundred forty thousand. Well, fuck, why it might go up to eight hundred thousand? And if I sell it when it's four hundred forty thousand, I'm going to lose that extra money. You know, you know what they say about the stock market: bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. Sometimes you just I remember want to stick that boom in the in bank. I'm, I'm just saying what he could have done versus what he did. Now, of course, he didn't know that the market was at the top, and he probably figured, well, it's going to keep going up forever because that's the myth that is peddled by the real estate people. Uh, and there's a, there's a great blog that discounts all this and talks about the psychology behind it at great length called uh, Housing Panic at blogspot.com that I read sometimes. But uh, yeah, that that's it in a nutshell. $140,000 house, I guarantee you, is probably, you know... <laughs> probably wasn't even 1500 square feet if anything and you know it goes up to 440 so what does he do he takes a $200,000 loan on it to me that's just it's a bizarre way to think about things but I, evidently a lot of Americans look at stuff that way I, it's it's funny I I actually remember I remember my mom when I was a kid uh, mocking some commercial on TV and and maybe even may, you guys may not remember this or maybe you will this this had to have been like 20 30 years ago and and it's just one of these breezy commercials and my mom was just oh yeah I just wrote a check in my Equiline you know, and that that was the whole thing. It was people doing exactly this. I just wrote, you know, I, I just wrote a check, you know, I just got a gigantic mortgage based on, on the assessed value of my house. And my mom was just, you know, making the point, you know, it's not that fucking easy. You know, it, these, these people, it's it's light and easy. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Well, you go through a little personal trouble and all of a sudden that ARM starts going up and you don't have the money and boom, you know, this guy couldn't even, he couldn't keep up the charade for two months when he had a downturn, you know, and he, all of a sudden he goes from 1800 a month to 4000 now. I just wrote a check in my Equiline. You know how easy it is. That was a, that was a big national commercial. Probably I don't know. Probably in the eighties, yeah, and it it's not easy. Cruising the wreckage of the Las Vegas property market every day in his silver Cadillac Escalade, the thirty-eight-year-old Mister Carver has developed a connoisseur's eye for pointless destruction. Being of a home that was left vacant, the original owner bought the house new in two thousand and three for one hundred thirty-one thousand. A year ago, Mister Carver says it could have fetched a quarter of a million. Eight just let, let me let's try to get some value out here to white people the thing you want to do you got to be careful and if you want to speculate i actually encourage that but you've got to be but you have to you have to check what you do against reality and you have to be careful the way you want to do it is you want to go against they're saying, oh, you know, get these easy checks to get this this money based on the value of your house. Well, the value of your house can go down, but you're still left holding that that yeah. loan. And if you can't pay that loan, then boom, all of a sudden you have nothing. You're you're out of your house and you're you're bankrupt or whatever. And the only fun you have in life is trashing that house on the way out the door. But what you could do is sell that house when it if it if it uh, what do you want to say if it doubles or triples in value, sell the damn thing, rent for a while, wait for the market to crash, then step back in and buy that same house again for you know maybe two hundred thousand and, and and then you've got the exact same house or one like it and you've got a couple hundred thousand in the bank you didn't have five years ago that's i'm sure there are plenty of smart people who did something just like that i can tell that from reading in the housing uh, panic uh, blogspot.com that that's what the smart people do the dumb ones did what this guy did and they they got in over their heads and and, and lost it so the fact that the value of housing goes up and down is a reflection of the feds dumping money out there that people are using to speculate with in real estate and in the stock market 
market. You have to understand that what goes up can go down. The stock market doesn't go up forever. Housing doesn't go up forever. It goes up and it goes down. So don't be don't be like these morons. Be smart. If you have if you have something where you can make a lot of profit off, take that profit. Stick that money uh, somewhere. I'm not even necessarily in the bank. Get some tangible value out of it. Don't don't uh, don't use it as the basis for taking a large loan. I mean that's just to me the psychology of that is just insane. It, it uh, it's got to be very very painful knowing that you're sitting there day to day and you owe two hundred thousand dollars that you got at a rate that can vary. I mean how scary is that? Why would you do that? You would only do that if you thought that the property was never going to lose any any uh, the price was never going to come back down, but it always does. So be careful, be sensible. Well, we have another story here out of Oklahoma. 100,000 illegal aliens leave Oklahoma. Law prohibits illegal aliens from getting driver's licenses and specific government benefits. It prohibits the sheltering and transport of illegal aliens, and it allows local police to enforce immigration law in the normal course of their duties. Several months later, it certainly looks like the law has been successful. Fair, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, has reported that since HB 1804 was enacted, 100,000 illegal aliens have left the state of Oklahoma, either returning to the home country or to another U.S. state with more liberal laws. This is big news. Well, I I remember they used to say, uh, I used to watch a lot of talk television in those days with the Mexicans, uh, when when they'd all be defending them, and uh, in fact, they were the same ones who built those houses in uh, Vegas we were just talking about that were so cheap. But anyway, uh, they they would uh, constantly make the point, the arguers for the invasion, who were quite often Jews, disproportionately Jews, that uh, there's no way, it's just too big a job for law enforcement that all of these people could be held uh, accountable. There aren't enough courts, aren't enough police, aren't enough judges. And then we'd have a constantly uh, churned up, uh, stopped up legal system whereby nothing would get done because the, the, the sheer enormity of the problem precluded laws being affected to it. Although, but when it comes to uh, they're, they're stopping our freedom of speech, uh, the, the, they can figure out ways to do that on a massive level. What you're going to, how many words you speak every day, the average person. Now, that's something they can manage that though. They don't have any problem with that. But back two decades ago with the Mexicans, no way to handle it legally. And now we see it. It's, it's, it's kind of like uh, carrying uh, weapons, you know. They always say that uh, they carry laws and in every place where they affect them, crime goes down. Anyway. Yeah, there's. this is just perfect proof that, you know, the invasion is a political decision. And like Craig said, that's their softening you up by claiming that, oh, it's inevitable and there's nothing that can be done about it. That's complete bullshit. There, there are multiple things that can be done about it. One, you post soldiers there and just shoot anyone who tries to come in. That would dry up the flow overnight. Two, you impose serious sanctions on employers. And three, you don't allow them to get any of these these driver's licenses and such. And that will end the flow. Right. That's they, what they're coming to do. They're coming here to get benefits and to work on the side so that they have two revenue streams coming their way, whereas in Mexico, they don't have shit coming their way. Yeah, once you reverse the incentive, you'll end the flow, and then it would just be a matter of mopping up the ones who are already here, which in itself wouldn't be that difficult. They're easily identifiable. I mean, they're in certain areas. I mean, they're they're known. Like here, they're over in Milan, they're working at the processing plant. I mean, you could round them up easily, but all you 
you'd have to do is is go to the what you got to do is go to the head of these these fucking employers like Tyson and, and say, look, we're gonna we are gonna cut you up unless this ends immediately. These are the people who are selling us out. They're not all Jews either. The people, the Jews own the Congress and they rewrite the laws to make it you know essentially a global labor market, and that that forces business to have to flee, uh, and uh, that's the result. You know, they they try to take in these people and pay them less, and you know the negative externalities as the economists say are borne by ordinary Americans. They have to live around these shitskins playing their crappy music, stealing stuff, just being all around scumbags the way Mexicans are. So is this so, just a good clear news. case of political mismanagement? Well, I mean, we, we also know here at Goyfire, we know about the Jewish ethnic agenda that's the other part of this that is never discussed. Some of the financial incentives of big business and of the Republicans and Democrats are discussed even in the controlled media, but the Jewish angle is never discussed. And that's the real driver behind the open borders policy. Jews want to play divide and conquer, and to do that, they need people to bring in here to play off against whites, who are otherwise 90% of the country before the immigration law was, was reversed under Jewish pressure in 1965. Before 65, it was 90% white and about maybe 10% black, and it was segregated, so the two communities weren't hurting one another. <laughs> well, in, in reality, the blacks weren't hurting the whites because they were segregated. The Jews reversed segregation, and they opened the borders to Mexico, and now 40 years later, we have a country that's only two-thirds white, and a lot of those are nominal whites, and there's another 100 million of the 300 million are out-and-out muds who are highly destructive. Many don't even speak English. They come here for our benefits and to take our jobs. And finally, we're starting to fight back a little bit through the, the official established process. And it's only made headway in Oklahoma, apparently, at the state level and uh, among a handful of little towns. But there are so many activist lawyers. And again, law schools are dominated by Jews and they have the backing of the press that's owned and edited by Jews that they are easily able to mount fights against the few lo- local places that go out of their way to uh, pass laws against these illegal invaders. So that's where we stand, and we're the only ones. Goyfire is the only place you're going to hear about the Jewish ethnic angle driving our invasion policy, our immigration policy, which is that they don't like to live in a country that is a majority of whites and Christians. They hate Christians and they hate whites. They want to destroy homogenous European-American countries, whether in Europe or whether in America. And they do that in part by importing these, opening the borders to these people from the third world. And they've let in, you know, the, t- today the Mexican population is larger than the black population. It's probably about 40 million Mexicans have come here in the last 40, uh, 40 years. I've, I've cited before and I'll cite it again. A professor said that in 1960 in America, there were more Americans like, like me of Swiss descent than there were of Mexican descent. You think about that. In 1960 and now 50 years later, 48 years later, I mean, there are Mexicans are the largest ethnic group in America apart from uh, Germans. But there are more Mexicans Germans in America white. than there are Swiss in Switzerland. No, Mexicans there's don't like a Swiss multiple. anyway, I'm sure. So. There's a multiple. Well. I mean, there are only, how many Swiss are there? Maybe 7 million or something? I mean, there's there's 40 million Mexicans here. Again, we were talking about population changes. When I was in school, Mexico always had a population of about, I think, 90 million. And, and what is it today? I believe it's 100 million. So Mexico has added 10 million Mexicans over the last 20 years, and South Africa has added 10 million uh, niggers over the last 20 years. 
And that's minus and those the forty million fest- living here. Exactly, exactly. How do, how do you figure that? I mean, those are, uh, good it's un- Catholics down there, Alex, as Buchanan would tell you. Well, and it's not just Mexicans. I mean, there's there's people from Brazil and from El Salvador who are also here in large numbers, and it's also Africans who are here in large numbers. But yeah, that's how it's going. And we whites have no. What's good for whites? That's what concerns us here. What's good for whites is living in a white land where we have the lowest common denominator is much higher than it is when we live in a land that's mixed with these people from around the world, these these fail people of failure from the sewers of the world. Can't run a country with Nigerians. Can't run a country with Mexicans or El Salvadorans. They have nothing to do with what we do. They don't live the way we want to live Norman Rockwell type lives. Middle class, where everybody's in the same page. They're not obsessed with money over every other value. They have decent morals. And, you know, you don't have to lock your car or your door when you go outside. Is that the kind of America we live in today? No, it isn't. It's the farthest thing from it. You have to lock your door at all times. You have to be on guard. And the only way we can get to the kind of society we want to live in is to reconstitute it on a racial basis. Race has everything to do with the kind of country one wants to live in. Uh, No matter that fact is denied by the Catholics as well as the uh, Jewish liars and the religious nuts who say that race doesn't matter. Speaking of religious nuts, we have uh, a Jew in New York City by the name of Silverstein who's looking uh, for $12.3 billion in damages from the airlines and other companies associated with September 11th terrorist attacks, as spokesman said. Larry Silverstein, president and CEO of Silverstein Properties, has recovered $4.6 billion in insurance payments. The additional money is meant to offset the remaining cost of what has was lost on September 11th. So, Pull it. Yeah. Who is this guy? Give us the background on Silverstein. Yeah, Silverstein that, was the property owner or manager, or I guess the owner of the uh, World Trade Center, and just mysteriously insured it to the hilt against terrorist attacks six months before a terrorist event happened. On six, was it six months or like six weeks before it happened? Mm-hmm. I thought it was, it was very close to when 911 went off. He, he became the owner and uh, insured to the hilt, as you say, the World Trade Center, and has received billions in reparations for his losses and wants billions more. But he was the guy who said on film about World Trade Center building number seven that was not hit by any airplane. Oh, we decided to go ahead and pull it. That's why that building along with the two others came down that day, which is pretty clear proof that the whole thing was rigged since you can't, you know, you can't immediately just decide to pull down a building. You have to rig it up with some stuff. But uh, this story just seems to underline the fact of how brazen uh, these people are. I mean, you'd think now with the whole 9-11 truth movement, which is becoming pretty obvious even in New York City, that a guy like this, even after collecting $4.6 $4.6 billion would, you know, decide to tone it down a bit, but he, he's going for the jugular here with an additional $12.3 billion claim. Here's one of the ironies of that, uh, guys, and that is that all the lawyers, again, let's let's go back a couple of decades. Maybe I'm older and that's why I can remember it, but, uh, you know, he's suing the Boston Authority and, and the airport there, Logan Airport, where uh, the hijackers who hit the Trade Center took off, right? So, uh, the reason that they weren't checked more carefully, uh, 
that was given was that the racial profiling laws, and they changed those. And if you look at the leaders who changed those, uh, they were constant uh, stream of Jew lawyers on uh, on our televisions. Uh, I remember on um, what was the uh, the public broadcasting the equivalent on TV, you know, the one with the uh, <laughs> the Dower fellow and uh, his uh, female sidekick. I can't think of the name of him now. McNeil Air Report. Yeah, for first Lair quit, and then there was just McNeil, and and uh, uh, anyway, they they would have them on their racial profiling. This are we being sensitive enough yet? Uh, have, have you curbed your white racism and so forth? No, you haven't. Well, we'll change the laws then, so that we don't have to check these guys at the airport just because they're dark skinned or Muslim or whatever. So there's one of the ironies is that the Jews led the charge on that to to uh, prevent uh, any kind of racial or ethnic difference profiling or because and that's the pretext they gave. That that's the excuse that they they gave. Well, we couldn't check them closer because of the laws. Yeah. Well, they never proved anything, did they? Really about who was on the planes. I mean, they didn't have the names of the ones they claimed later were hijackers. Well, that's true. And the 911 truth, yeah, a, lot, a lot of those things are in, in still in question. But although the, it's still the most glaring one is the uh, event to me. There's the one you just named about the three buildings falling. Uh, some fellow just made a video and he said it's the first time in uh, the, all of humankind that three steel frame buildings have fallen from fire in a <laughs> controlled <laughs> direct collapse that took 15 seconds. It should have taken about, about 45, and they all yeah. happened in the same place on the same day. Yeah, well, so the funniest thing I, I, I've read recently, and basically every day, you know, new facts come out and things that don't don't uh, add up, was they, they were describing how NORAD completely lost track of these planes because the terrorists allegedly turned the transponders off. And some guy said, well, gee, if the Russians had figured out that, they could have uh, bombed Washington with impunity. Uh-huh. Just- I, I'm, I'm, yeah, and look, look, just the other day, they, they, they came across some Russian plane, some MiGs or something, up around Alaska. You know? So it, it's complete garbage that they couldn't figure out where these planes were and they didn't know what was going on and they just somehow were able to get through. That's garbage. They stood down. And that's why Cheney got all mad when it, it, the orders still stand? Of course they do. Have you heard anything different? That's what he snapped at one of his adjutants while they were waiting for the planes to uh, hit the towers. They knew what was going on, and of course it was prepared. They pre- they prepped the buildings up. They probably sawed through the things partly and then and then bombed them a little bit or uh, had an explosive go off to fully sever the steel supports. That's the thing. They had 47 steel columns in the middle of that thing, and there's no way in hell that that wouldn't have survived in some way, shape, or form. But no, it all neatly came down in nice little 30-foot pack Packages that could be immediately carted off and sold to Asia for scrap metal. So it was totally produced planned event, just like Pearl Harbor. Yeah, well, but since the American people don't give a damn, even about Pearl Harbor after the fact when it's known and demonstrated that we had all the codes and we deliberately engineered them to attack us, they don't care. So it's pretty brazen, yeah. And it, too much is never enough for these Jews. They always want more money and more power. You know, the guy's only got $6 billion out of the building so far, or $4 billion, whatever it is, and he wants another eight. You would think at least a novelist would arise who would write fictional stories of these uh, uh, big kite personages uh, getting mass assassinated in, in, a, in a fictional society that's a better world, yeah, so you, to speak. But you know what, Craig? Mm. There actually is one that came out. It's not precisely about that. It's more about Jews producing these pretexts. Uh, mentioned in the column by Paul Craig Roberts. I can't think of the name of the book, but it is about, I guess, the Mossad and the, and the insiders in the U.S. Nuclear bombing in American city is a pretext to war with Iran. So, 
was that was that uh, Des Moines? Wasn't it? I think you? I, I read your. Uh, uh, I can't. Your I can't page. remember. It might. I think it was L.A. Actually, was the was, was it LA? the city that they nuked in the in the novel. And apparently, it's not a great novel. But so far, has this kind of talk that we're engaged in here gone? And so common is it now to understand what's actually going on at the top of the U.S. government that it's already turned into into a mainstream novel. People are already that knowledgeable, or they would say that cynical. But it's just knowledgeable. They understand how these things operate. I mean, if you know a little about the Mossad and you read about it, you read Viktor Ostrovsky's books, you see the pattern. And the World Trade Center demolitions fit the pattern exactly. Yeah, and and this is what the Mossad does. It creates false flag operations in order to uh, engineer certain results. And the result it wanted was getting the U.S. embroiled in Israel's defense and its wars. And that's why Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister, was was, was grinning and happy. And he said, oh, this is a good... Uh, well, I mean, it, it's not a good thing. It's, uh, it's terrible. But now they know exactly how we feel in Israel, you know, so we're tied to them ever more closely. Speaking of Israel, we have a Safed chief rabbi calls on state to exact revenge against Pharaoh. Chief rabbi of Safed, Rabbi Shmuel Elihu, is calling on the government is calling on the government to carry out state-sanctioned revenge against Arabs in order to, in his words, restore Israel's deterrence. In a piece penned for this upcoming week's edition of the newsletter Aretz Israel Shelanu, Rabbi Shemuel Eliyahu wrote, quote, It's time to call the child by its name. Revenge, revenge, revenge. We mustn't forget we have to take horrible revenge for the terrorist attacks at Merkaz Harava Yeshiva. According to the incident, referring to the incident in which eight students were killed earlier this month. Yeah, well, he says, I'm not talking about individual people in particular. I'm talking about the state. Eliyahu wrote, the state has to pain them to the point where they scream enough. So as you see here, they, they're they always against collective guilt. Well, that's what they believe in completely. He's not talking He's not talking about the people who did this or inspired or whatever. He's saying whatever. He doesn't care who they take it out of. He wants a lump of flesh taken out of Palestine. They're collectively guilty of what? Well, really, of not being Jews. That's the Jewish attitude toward all non-Jews. You are collectively guilty. And remember that this action, this killing of these eight Jewish thugs that are being misrepresented as high school students by the liars at Fox News, the professional shills and sellouts and traitors of Fox News, remember that this was preceded by the murder of 120 innocent Palestinians by Israel. So the revenge taking was coming from the Palestinians who are living in a concentration camp that suffers from blackouts and economic embargoes and Israeli tanks on every other street. So as always, complete misrepresentation by the Jews and extreme viciousness exemplified by their behavior and their actions and their mentality. You see how they think. They they, they just hate all non-Jews. There's no other way to put it. What's an anti-Semite? It's someone who's not a Jew. And that's what they really believe. They hate all non-Jewish people. In fact, they don't regard non-Jews as people. They regard them as animals. And he wants the Israeli government to go slaughter more of the livestock. I mean, haven't they been doing that all along? Is this, is of course this they have. something they've been new? They've been torturing the Palestinians for decades now. But we yeah, don't hear about it in American e- media. All we hear about is, like someone put, you know, on VNNforum.com, I mean, someone puts, well, when the eight Israelis were killed, that's on page one, but the fact that five American soldiers died that day is, you know, on page A-17. So, Israel's concerns are made to outweigh American concerns. It's like our whole nation is set up to just do whatever helps Israel and screw what's good for us. Well, that's what we're saying. That's why we do the show. Look at what's good for white people is what matters, and we have to identify as whites in order to fight back against these criminals who take all of our money and our arms, as we'll see later in the show. This this rabbi is the 
the uh, chief rabbi of Safed, which is listed in Wikipedia as one of the four holiest Hebrew cities, Jewish cities. And one of those listed of those four cities, other than Safed, is Hebron. And Hebron's in the West Bank. It's not a Jew city. It's, uh, the Palestinians are supposed to have it, although the Jews literally control the center of Hebron. They've just kicked Palestinians out of the center of that city on the, in the West Bank and, and taken it over. And also it says here, Safed is a, it's not mentioned in the Bible, but there's rumor that it was uh, founded by one of Noah's sons. And you'll remember Noah is the 600 and some year old uh, alcoholic in the Bible who built the ark. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Right. Uh, you can't even ethnic, you can't even profile people here in the U.S. because uh, you know, the Jews would take offense to that. That would be ethnic profiling. I can't, can't discriminate against minorities. Uh, you have to yield to affirmative action and, and not notice when your neighborhood is being taken over by blacks. You have to be an equal opportunity employer of all things. And meanwhile, uh, they're, they're doing what they damn well please over there in uh, Israel. Yeah, we don't even know most of what they do. It simply is not reported. But what a lot of what they do is destruction of property and shooting of innocent people. And you have to understand that these people are basically living in a concentration camp. I mean, it's surrounded by wire and walls, subject to blackouts subject to tanks rolling through the street and shelling apartment buildings and knocking them down or just smashing through walls around properties uh, uprooting trees olive trees orange trees that's how jews operate they have no respect for other people because they don't believe that they're people and they believe that they themselves are gods among animals or gods among dogs it's perhaps a better way of putting it and we subsidize these clowns to the tune of billions of dollars a year and over a trillion dollars since the foundation of israel back in 1948 yeah. Yet another reason to feel great about our, our country, America, and what it's turned into, what it's devolved into under the Jews, right. who place between themselves and the whites who ought to take revenge on them, class consisting of Kwame Kilpatrick and tens of millions of illegal invaders. Think about that, what we discussed today. Yeah. Clowns like Spitzer and this Jewish rabbi are running America. This Jewish arms dealer we're going to talk about in a minute are running America. And in between them and the white people who founded the country is Kwame Kilpatrick, this incompetent murderous nigger with a, a diamond stud in his ear and you know hundreds of thousands of illegal invaders kicked out of one state but are free to roam the other 49 and get driver's licenses and all kinds of medical benefits so that's america today in 2008 enjoy uh, yeah we are <laughs> yeah well heading to germany uh we have a story here prosecutors accused the head of germany's top far right party tuesday of publishing a pamphlet before the 2006 world cup to question whether non white players should be on the national soccer team. Prosecutor Simona Herbert said in a statement that Udo Voigt, head of the National Democratic Party, or NPD, was charged with incitement and defamation over the pamphlets. NPD spokesman Klaus Beyer and Frank Schwert, a leading member, were also charged, Herbert said. Flyers showed the traditional white German jersey with the number 25, worn at the time by black defender Patrick O'Woolmoy they read white, not just a jersey color, for a real national team. A little bit of Jewish Kabbalism there migrated into German law, huh? Don't like them fucking with the numbers. Mystical numbers of, of the Negroes. 
<laughs> How long is he facing in prison for that one? He just that sounds pretty serious. Uh, well, they do take couple years incitement yeah. to hatred pretty seriously. So yeah, let's say one one to to five years. That'll cool his heels, won't it? He'll think twice again before he puts uh, numbers on jerseys or, or makes any allusion to. Uh, you know, uh, Alex had an article linked on VNN the form govnn.com uh, the front page, and I looked at that and it says that now in Germany they're claiming that the, the Jews are telepathically <laughs> telepathically. Uh, that was that was a satire. Actually, if you read, it, I just skimmed over it and saw one quote, I and I thought too, it was built. But, but then, okay. when you read it, yeah, it's satire. But uh, like good satire, it's not too far off. It's plausible. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, murder, rape, publishing a pamphlet. I mean, this this guy's being prosecuted for publishing a pamphlet. Oh, what? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, this is what it's come to. And yet, at the same time, well, Germany's a free and democratic country, and you have freedom of press and freedom of speech, freedom of opinion. No, you don't. You can't publish a pamphlet saying there shouldn't be non-whites on your national team. Uh, Alex, that was um, putting ink to paper here uh-huh. and and distributing it. So this, uh, you might be underplaying the seriousness of this uh, offense. I mean, this, oh, yeah. this is just beyond it is beyond ridiculous. And this stuff is never reported in America or in Canada. I mean, right now, up in Canada, you have a battle going on over the Lemire case where Lemire is defending against the Canadian Hate Commission, which is kind of the uh, star chamber that does the work of the Jews and their cat's paws like uh, Richard Warman. And only now are they talking about free speech concerns there because Muslims have started to bring charges against Jews under the laws Jews created to persecute whites. And so when Jews start becoming the targets of these laws they set up to harass whites, why then it becomes a free speech issue and it should be written about. And so you have the columnists who are almost all Jews themselves, like Jonathan Kay and uh, Mark Stein, to name the two most prominent, uh, writing about free speech. And of course, the only thing they ever mentioned besides... uh, Ezra Levant, and I forget the other Jew who's, or Mark Stein himself, who were subject to uh, attack under these laws is the uh, Fleming Rose case, who's a Jew over in Denmark who published the anti-Muslim cartoons. So free speech means the Jew's right to criticize anybody, and hate speech means the Jew's right to attack anybody who criticizes him. So as usual, the Jews are trying to have it both ways, and part of their control over a country like Germany is saying that you can't resist their policies of forcibly integrating Germany with non-whites. You can't uh, say that your national soccer team want to be purely German rather than have a stray Nigerian or two on it, or you get persecuted by state prosecutors, potentially thrown in jail for years, as has already happened to Ernst Zundel, Horst Mahler, Sylvia Stoltz, to name but three of the people we have at VNNForum.com and our Speech Martyrs subforum. Garamar Rudolph. Garamar Rudolph, quite right. All these people, you go to VNNForum.com, go to our Speech Martyrs sub, you'll see all the men who are in jail across Europe or things that they've said that their Jew-controlled governments don't want them saying. All while these same Jews and their the media they control are insisting that there's these are free and democratic nations with a complete right of conscience and, and right to an opinion, but they in fact do not enjoy those rights. And you know, that's why we do this show, because this needs to change, and the only way it's going to change is if whites organize around their racial identity and fight back against the Jews who are persecuting them. Well, speaking about Jews, we have another TJB, uh, and this title, title of this article is Supplier Under Scrutiny on Arm for Afghans. So since uh, let's see here, since 2006 when the insurgency <laughs> insurgency in Afghanistan sharply intensified, the Afghan government has been dependent on American logistics and military support in the war against Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. But to arm the Afghan forces that it hopes will lead this fight, the American 
American military has relied since early last year on a fledgling company led by a 22-year-old man whose vice president was a licensed masseur. Masseuse. Masseuse. Yeah, with an award last January of a federal contract worth as much as nearly $300 million, the company AEY, which operates out of an unmarked office in Miami Beach, became the main supplier of munitions to Afghanistan's army and police forces. So, uh, yeah. yeah, you've basically got a, a kike here who's barely 18 who's supplying defective ammunition and arms to uh, Afghanistan under these, these uh, government contracts. I mean, this is just part parcel of Jewish corruption. It's corruption you see wherever Jews dominate politically, because that's what they are. They're essentially a criminal genetic clan, and they're going to network with each other like Elliot Spitzer up north in New York down to this this little kike who's 20 years old or 22 years old down in Miami. It's the same corruption, and he's, you know, he's buying old, unstable, low-quality ammunition and occasionally supplying it to the, the, the troops out in Afghanistan, or the, the Afghanis who are fighting with us and making a huge boatload of money off of it all the while and now it's it's finally come to the fore i mean if you people don't think that our government is controlled by jews how do you explain story after story after story in which anybody who stands athwart the jewish agenda is being persecuted whether in germany whether in canada or whether in the u.s while the jews themselves are making out like bandits they're killing and shooting everything that moves they're supplying defective defective munitions to make a bunch of money and let me tell you you know i remember seeing some movie i wish i could recall the name when i read the story i thought of it i could i can't recall the name but it was a movie made by hollywood after World War II, but probably before 1965. And it was about <coughs> uh, a Goyish type doing exactly this sort of thing. He he knowingly signed off on defective airplane parts, which led to American flyers getting killed in the war because he wanted to make some profit. And of course, as I recall from the movie, the Goy doing this had a German surname. He was no Jew. So the Jew uses his media control to invert reality. In the Jews movie, the Goy is the bad guy. But in reality, as we see from this article, the Jew is the corrupt businessman. The Jew is getting people killed by supplying them with substandard ammunition and armaments. So that's why we do this show, because no one else is going to point out to you the ethnic connection here and what's actually going on. You read it, you think, oh, okay, well, you know, they got a bad supplier, or they get rid of them, they go, no. The whole, the whole complex is controlled by Jews. They steal all of our best technology, and they either sell it to China or use it in Israel or do both. And then the, the crappy, inferior stuff they supply to our army and our friends our allies in Afghanistan and make a boatload of money off of it. Now, or you got this other Jew selling nuclear triggers to Pakistan. I mean, our government is controlled by Jews. And this story is just one manifestation of that control. You know, how, how in the world else is a 22-year-old kid going to get a government contract for $300 million to supply arms to the army? How does that happen? They're oppressing this poor fellow, Alex, this poor Jewish 22-year-old arms dealer with only a third of a billion bucks and you send, maybe you're jealous, Alex. Huh? Is that it? That's what the Jews would have us believe. Well, you know, I, I don't see how it, someone that old can have the experience or connections to come up with uh, what our army needs. It just doesn't make no. any kind of sense whatsoever. No, he's been at it for four years. He's been at it for four years. He incorporated, they said, that company was floating along, lumbering along a little bit. His dad had it. And by the way, when his dad opened the door for reporters,
records on a video report, and he's wearing his yarmulke. Yarmulke. And uh, th th this kid, he owned a, for a while one percent of the company. Then he literally incorporated it a month after he won the federal contract. And his one friend was a masseur. The other guy was a general manager, Levi something Meyer, I think. He said he's going to walk away from it. Now he said, I'm finished with that. And then the Jew Henry Waxman, I have the PDF and I'm reading it. The Jew Henry Waxman in the Congress has written him this real formal letter. Mr. Meyer, I believe his name is Levi Meyer. You are commanded to appear and so forth and so on. It looks, I don't think he uses the word commanded, but the, all filled with officiousness. Bring all the records that you have. We want to know the details of your business. And meanwhile, the, these kids are probably sitting around smoking pot, you know, and uh, 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 talking uh, Ebonics yeah. almost, really. And, these, and so, these are fucking kind operators craig their dc sure. is full of them i mean i saw i yeah. saw people you know who worked at my company and then they would go and they would work the washington times or they work at the uh, yeah. uh for israeli defense contractors they're all fucking Disgusting. network that's what you that's what you they're suckers literally out living white people's lives grasp. for us what, what you white people living in the middle of the country don't grasp is that the country is run by a tight network of kikes operating on the east coast essentially and also on the west coast they all know each other they're integrated they employ each other they're they're nepotistic and they operate this country country to their advantage and then they run shit on tv that you buy like suckers oh slap a slap a bumper sticker in your car i support the troops send your kid abroad to die for israel while these fuckers are sitting there getting blowjobs and getting massages and selling crap ammunition to make boatloads of money that's what's actually going on it's not run in your interest this country it's run in the interest of jews and that has to be changed i guess i really should need to say that but the jews have to be thrown out for any kind of sanity to be impossible any kind of control government, you know, self-controlled government to be possible, you have to get rid of the Jews and the minorities. There's no way around it. You're never going to have any black hope that's actually going to pan out. They're all going to turn out to be crooks and murderers and liars. So This ammunition, by the way, it came from Albania. It was Chinese ammunition uh, manufactured between 1962 and And uh, I mean, can you imagine this crap that's 40 years old and been shipped all the way around the world and been sitting in warehouses for decades and this, this fucking oh, yeah. little cut and you, and you can believe he's a completely arrogant little kike. I, I can just see this little fucker. I mean, he probably goes out to the clubs every night. He's an arrogant little fuck. He's he's selling this ammunition he knows to be utter shit and making a boatload of money off it. You know, ah, Golden of Medina, America is the best place on earth for the Jews. You know, th this is how these people are. Yeah, here it says, uh, you know, in what Miami Beach, even before the suspension, AEY had lost staff members. Michael DiVaroli, the company's founder, Founder told a reporter that he no longer had any relationship with the company. Mr. Pak Utz, who was AEY's vice president, and Levy Meyer, 25, who was briefly listed as general manager, had left the company too. Left the company. It, they're writing it up as if it really exists, or that there was really something going on. It's all just like, it, it's like bordering on a Ponzi. They were just a, uh, uh, you know, look, it was a company in Cyprus called Evden, and there was a Swiss behind that. But but the point is, is they're Jewish network as alex said is all jewish network it's just like a big shit it's just game. it's just a bunch of bullshit i mean it's you know this kike okay hey i'm an arms dealer you know give me a, oh you give me a 300 million dollar contract okay put the money into this account once the money's in there then i spend two million dollars buying this shit ammo and i ship it to you and all of a sudden you know i've got 298 million dollars and you've got a bunch of crappy ammo and, and i'm happy that's all it is they're not doing
doing any fucking thing with it. Yeah, how long is this dude going to get into jail, too? Or get into jail? About 18 months? 12 suspended sentences because he was such a a member of the community until this happened? You got to put all this together. Remember Karen Kwiatkowski of the Libertarian writing about, you know, these phalanxes of kikes coming through her under office in the Pentagon. Well, who do you think those people know? They know guys like this. They know how to set up their own people to make huge profits. And they know how to misrepresent it through Hollywood, what's actually going on, and through the media. And they know how to make, you know, this story no longer exists at Fox News when it's about Israelis wiretapping all these American officials so that they always always know what's going on. We saw that in the in the case it was used to trip up Spitzer, in fact. Although, on, note, note, they tripped up Spitzer on something personal so that it's not something that's going to ramify through the wider community, you know, always using a prostitute. But they can use that same control over telephones and money and media to take down anybody. They, they find out your secrets. They track you. Find out where your money's going, who you're talking to, where you're browsing on the web, and use that to blackmail you or take you down. And use it to cover up information about their own shenanigans. Like this little punk kid who's, you know, making these hundreds of millions of dollars dealing this defective ammunition. Check this. A couple of years before this happened, he and, uh, and and one of his partners there beat up a parking lot attendant uh, so severely he was charged with a felony. And uh, he went into court and said how he was uh, a well-known, he, he's working hard for the government to stop terrorism. This is what he told the judge and so forth. Can you imagine some judge watching them watching uh, snot-nosed little uh, know-it-all kid doing this? It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the kind of kid you see out in the South Beach uh, MTV Beach Party with the niggers hip-hopping. He was just the fucking same. And then his dad said he was a genius. And talk about huge profits, Alex. This is anti-reality. And the anti-reality is so far ingrained and so pandemic in the United States that, uh, I mean, yeah, I said it who, before, it makes the Weimar Republic look like a right-wing uh, a government. Who fucking you know, gives, who gives right- a $300 million contract to this fucking little punk kid? All right, that's where the story is. Who's who's we, the we guy sitting no, there? No. Oh, we had, we, had, we had 10 bids and we gave it to this little punk kite kid down in uh, Miami. And check this, they're, you know, they're still accepting shipments from him, even, even after all this until, I don't know, I think it's something like 30 or 60 days hence, until they solve the problem. And they're going to have Henry Waxman, and this dude's going to go up there, Henry Waxman, he'll probably wear a nice suit, this young kike will, and for a while he couldn't find him. I, I don't, I'm not sure they've even still found him, but anyway, Levi Le, Le, Le Meyer got summoned, and uh, it's just unbelievable, while our kids can't even get a fucking job in the 7-Eleven, you know? Somebody needs to get shot in the head, a whole bunch of them. It, it's really, really wrong. Well, that's the, that's and, the only thing they allow them to Bear Stern in the Cayman Islands, a registration, the fucking Cayman Islands with some nigger judge, this is where that goddamn thing is chartered. What is wrong with the people in the United States? And what we're also going to see is that's where all these uh, these financial firms that have sold these suckers all this bad paper are going to liquidate in the Cayman Islands and declare bankruptcy and uh, protect most of their assets and l- let the investors uh, <laughs> go hang. Yeah, that's yeah. this uh, next uh, this next article here. Bear Stearns Cayman's filing may hurt funds creditors. Bear Stearns' decision to liquidate two bankrupt hedge funds in the Cayman Islands instead of New York may limit creditors and investors' ability to get their <laughs> money you know, back. All this shit, Aegis. It yeah. sounds like they're fucking reading from the Onion website or something, man. It doesn't and, even and, make sense. Yeah, and the, the uh, who was it? Somebody somebody with Bear Stearns just dumped like, uh, I don't know, he sold $60 million worth of something to cash out. That's what they're going to do. The, the, the higher-end people in this are never going to suffer in the slightest. They're going to preserve, you know, 90% of their wealth and their investors are going to lose 90% of their wealth, if not 100. So when you get involved with the stock market, as, as one of our guys say, it's a kite casino and they're the house and you often enough are the sucker. Or if you're not the sucker, you're not the sucker because you were extremely careful about how you played and you got out when you were ahead. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, all these stories 
perfectly feed into one another to give you a complete picture. And hopefully we're helping in that regard. But my God, they almost tell the story themselves. But if you see it, it's, it's Jews running the country, and these are just different manifestations of the corruption and the crazy politics that you're going to get whenever you have Jews in control of something. They're running it. They're running it to pursue their own agenda and for their own interests, and their interests are diametrically opposed to our interests as normal white people. Yeah, filling the funds bankrupt, filing the funds bankruptcy in the Caymans, a banking center, quote, is a nice little stunt, and it might may work for a while, Grant said. Quote, Bear Stearns is trying to put a wall between themselves and the so-called rogue funds. I believe they were even chartered there, Aegis. I may be wrong, but I think that they were literally chartered there. So all their paper, uh, somewhere it would have had to declare that from, from, from the get-go. Right there, a big high-rise and everything in the middle of New York City, and all running the thing out of... It's as if they were planning for a, a, a rainy day. Well, I think, Craig, doesn't that article say that most of these uh, hedge funds or investment funds are uh, belong to companies that are headquartered in these islands because they have... Uh, it, it's not necessarily... It, it's partly because of a, a day like this might come, and it's also because they have more privacy and more freedom in the islands than they do in the U.S., certainly, and, and definitely better Robert, tax that's, that's situations. That's but yeah, yeah. Precedent. Yeah, yeah. So Well, I mean, I know, I know the U.S. has been... <laughs> the U.S. regulators have been trying to get a better hold on a lot of these islands where they have different rules in the U.S. because they don't... Like I said, we were talking about... That's one of the planks of Marxism is capital controls and, and not allowing money to leave the country without their approval. And the U.S. regulators want to know where every dollar is. And of course, industry is going to try to protect itself for fair or for foul. And so, yeah, come the rainy day, you know, they can liquidate under uh, under judges who, are, who aren't going to go after the heads of these hedge funds. They're going to let them, you know, keep a lot of their assets and just fuck their investors. We have a video on Pod Blanc, and it's by this guy Rogers, who's a, who's a big, uh, a well-respected white man, who's a, who's a you know investor-type fellow. And he says that the federal government knew all about Bear Stearns way back during the last quarter of uh, 07, and that uh, all these guys are driving, uh, what, 200,000 Maseratis in there, and when I say all of them, I mean all of them, you know, that, that's literally, if not a Maserati, sure. this is what they did, they gave away $43 billion in, in, uh, in bonuses, billion, not million, in December, and uh, that's literally what they're doing, and the federal government didn't want to take it away from them, why? Because they're making special uh, dispensation because they're Jews, Goldman Sachs and Bear Stearns, and, and they just give them all the cushy deal, just like they all got the the cushy deal from the guy who stuffed the uh, documents down his pants and got away. The, the NSA guy who was he? Uh, uh, I mean, uh, just Sandy Berger. Yeah, Berger, Berger, and then uh, I mean, it, uh, just one after the other. You name it. Uh, they, they, they can talk about us uh, as uh, anti-Semites or whatever they want, but, but these kind of things. This this three hundred million dollar kid it really gets to me because uh, mm. imagine imagine a federal government that would hand that kind of money. They're, they're just literally throwing it away. I mean, and, and on a flim flam, and the federal government is literally complicit and they act as if these journalists they can't find the guy who gave this the, this kid the contract the the, the, the the awarders of the contract should be ferreted out within like 24 hours they, they can backtrack that they won't do it they will not do it. And, and the journalists yeah, write yeah. it up as if oh my my he was really in business and quite a success by the way as was bear stearns uh well, the way they you know what it's, it's, up, yeah. it, it's like that mtv video editing style of just boom 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 
boom is is has gone general in the media to the press as well because you don't get the context of anything so that you never develop a true understanding and it plays into what hitler says the point of reading is to clarify and flesh out your picture of the world so that you can put every piece of information in your head into a sort of a pattern and see and as you read you read with a specific mission of clarifying and expanding that picture but you can't do that with the jewish media in itself or it makes it more difficult to do it because they don't put their articles into any kind of interpretative context it's just you know this happened and this happened and this and you're never allowed to see the connections between them right this is today's news the news top of the hour yeah it's just it's just a never-ending cavalcade of personality and you know i think they use the word epiphenomenon you know they just little bursts like little ripples on top of a pond that go away immediately there's never any deeper meaning to it that's what we're yeah. trying to give so you here at Boy Fire. how did such a successful businessman go bad how could a boy genius like that why did he abuse the the wonderful creation he'd made <laughs> yeah you know I hope some Iraq veterans come back, some whites, and change things. A few IEDs, not more, more, more than a few, a few thousand of them. Yeah, there's nothing like uh, having to defend yourself against uh, a couple of mujahideen and uh, your your weapon misfires because or jams because uh, you got Albanian ammo uh, in your clip. <laughs> and not not Albanian ammo from like you know 2000. It's like from 1962 or something. Yeah. I mean, think I about saw the that. picture. Some of it literally had mold on it, rust and mold and corrosion. It's I mean, Al- Albania's never been noted for the, the high quality of its manufactured goods. I'm not sure Albanians manufacture anything, yeah, it was really. Chinese. Yeah, old so, Chinese. So they got it goods. from the Chicoms 40, 50 years ago. And the 120, the, the Masur, I want to tell everybody, the Masur, don't worry about the Kike Masur. Uh, uh, they're all three Kikes because he, he's now a songwriter on MySpace. How about that? You know, maybe we're going to watch him on an American Idol next, you fucking idiots. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, Shane, we wouldn't want such talent to go to waste, will we? That's right. Talking yeah. about America here. I, I want to see Henry Waxman and uh, and uh, Levi Meyer. That'll be hilarious. Hmm. Mr. Meyer, you you have a quite a resume here, and uh, it's not often that we see a young man impressed, but I would just like to know how you went wrong uh, with all the great things that you'd accomplished down there at the massage table. Who knows? Yeah. Well, in any case, I, I do believe we are through the topics, uh, so any closing statements or anything going on at VNN. Let Chain go first. Let me think for a second. If you have something to say, Chain. Well, he just told me this, and he keeps track of it, but uh, Goyfar has gotten 240,000 hits a year. So before the year's out, I bet it's up over 300,000. And uh, they say viral media is 1,100,000, I think I've heard. So uh, we're, we're getting it there. You know, is that from, uh, from trackinggoyfire.com? Feedburner, feed I do believe. Is that right, Aegis? Yeah, the down. Oh, okay. Downloads or click-through. Well, we encourage people uh, send us an email if you want. You can send it to me at alinder at uh, kvmo.net or what do we have? Info at goyfire.com? Stan Sikorsky? Yeah, info at goyfire.com. I believe that's still working. Uh, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a way to track some of our radio. I've just gotten into that recently, kind of yeah, wondering no, about how people are. We don't like to speak just to, to uh, <laughs> we want to know that people are listening to it, so let us know from time to time and we'll try to record these more often than we have in the last few months. But uh, VNN just going forward, we're, I'm going to develop a few more. I've developed a lot of our archive threads and i'm going to do more on that front uh in terms of uh craig actually the the thread that you and i had built on the law schools i'm going to rebuild that and uh restore 
Well, well Richard, I can send it over from well, Bob Block or something for him. Like we that. did it. Well, maybe we can mutually dual post it somehow. But uh, um, okay. we know how we did it the first time. We just simply went out and found the top 10 law schools. And then we went and we posted links and pictures of, you know, representative lawyers and just showed, you know, estimated the percentage of Jews as law professors at the top 10 schools. And it's very easy to demonstrate that Jews are essentially half of the Ivy League law professors. And that's conservatively. That's not knowing which ones are married to Jews, but that's just taking the most obvious Jew names out of it. Anyway, that's something I'm going to work on. And, and we got a bunch of other stuff. We're working on a newspaper also. Radio Estina. Been a I'm going to be doing that tomorrow. And uh, yeah, I'm they're individually numbered and uh, handcrafted. So yeah, yeah. We do have a feed, uh, a live feed, I think, on, up or it, there is a live feed up on podblanc.com uh, mm-hmm. with Radio Estina up there. So uh, it's a great show. I, I, I You really go into your professorial depth so uh, you can really well i try to i think there's a uh, there's a lack of you know arian state university education and just uh we go into it some on this show we we talk we try to give you the fuller context well that's more overtly just lecturing out of you know different books by the wisest people out there and and trying to figure out you know what's actually going on in this world and it's stuff you will not get in any university that's for sure so there's there's a crying need for all that education that you can possibly come up with and part of it is like what chain has put together and you guys have done at podblank.com uh, putting together existing material like uh, videos of the first Americans and this has to be used to reteach people the truth about their origins we say that we need to come together as whites well what's the background on that Where who are we where did we come from well all of that stuff bits and pieces of it are here and there around the internet but it's not really put together by anybody and that's what you know you guys have done with various videos of the first Americans and I've got that archived at VNN and uh, there needs to be a lot more of that across the whole range of our history so but, but we have to dissuade people from their uh, their, their Jewish uh, slavishness that uh, that uh, you know there's no such thing as the white race. There's a whole generation of kids who, who if they don't believe that I can believe they believe it, but apparently some of them do. At least they espouse it. I mean that's a pretty serious mind uh, mind bender. Even now, eight percent of the world population they won't believe it. Yeah, and seventy four percent of the U S. believes racism is a sin. First of all, what's a sin? You know what? If you don't think that there's a if you can get past the idea that there's not a, a, a supernatural deity, that means that you have this brief time here, and whatever you flesh out here is what you get. And the way you're going to propel yourselves forward is is through DNA, and uh, that, that's the connectivity. You're, you're the living connectivity between the past of that DNA and the future. And all of these things about context, Alex, you said, we don't have context. I mean, these kids can't string together three or four sentences or paragraphs. Well, you know, and we have the government actively, the government that's given these contracts to these these stupid child kikes, you know, these child prodigy kikes is at the same time covering up our past, not just dumping thousands of tons of rock and and soil on our our ancestor, the Kennewick man. But I found another thing from like last year, the the Clovis point, which was created by our ancestors in, in Iberia, and they brought the technology over here to America before the Red Man ever came to the Americas. Well, they found a Clovis point uh, in Malibu, California, which is as far west as you can go. And they found it like last year, and unfortunately, the land is owned by a homeowner who's only allowed a limited amount and only been forced by the state to allow a limited amount of excavation, so there could be more stuff there, but uh, I haven't seen any updates on the story. But there's lots of exciting stuff like that going on, where the truth about the origins of and the peopling of the Americas is slowly coming to light. And what we're doing out there at Podblank and, and VNN Forum is is putting this information together and giving you, letting you see not only the, 
corruption of academic anthropology, but the way that all of this fits a pattern of lies to deceive you about who you are and who you come from and deceive you about your line of people and its meaning and really deprive your life of the uh, the full meaning of it and reduce you to a moment-by-moment consumer of personality and, and, and pop politics. We have something better than that. And that's why we do this show and why we do these different websites. And we encourage you to join us and, and help us in whatever form that is, as always. Right. And uh, Jane, you're now doing, what is it, two two times two times a, a daily a video live video broadcast? Is that correct? Twice daily? I'm going to start tomorrow afternoon to do it twice, try to reach European people. And uh, Excellent. Yeah. Well, you know, the streaming, I guess it hits people visually, but uh, Europeans uh, know a lot of these things because they're not deracinated from their own cultures, at least in these smaller countries, Belarus and here. And these Slavic people, and some of them in this country, Estonia, they're sort of leading the way. And, and they're not, you know what, it's so refreshing to hear them talk about our people, and uh, they don't have any apologies. I mean, uh, it's just that I can barely relate the context to you accurately because uh, it's so different from the United States where they're utterly shamed, ashamed even to have a conversation about anything white. Literally, the people will not do mm. it in many cases. So, you know, it's it's just a big uh, difference. And media is the only way to give them any kind of context. And unfortunately, the bigger the bigger voice, the bigger megaphone is, is who people are still believing. They will not believe uh, evidence. And they also believe power. And the power is so corrupt now that uh, the, the money's going down. The money's been ruined. I don't know what it's going to take. You're going to your last dime, your daughters, uh, let your daughters get raped. What's it going to take people before you make some action? I don't know. But, but you know, you're uh, and I don't include us. I really don't. But I think you're a real pitiable uh, not even pitiable, uh, uh, disdainful, uh, uh, what's the word? I mean, uh, I have almost disdain for you and people in the UK too, to think that, and those are my ancestors, a lot of them, to think that they, they let them come to this. And even some of the Germans who've done it, there's no excuse. There's something in our genetic makeup that, that needs to be uh, addressed because. Yeah, and that is the ability to have in guilt inculcated in us to a remarkable extent. Yeah. I mean, I was reading over, I showed you some of the, uh, they're having a big conference the next few days, like April 1 to 5 on on uh, white privilege. And this is the ninth annual Congress, and it's a bunch of leftist activists and pseudo-academics from around the country convening to discuss so-called white privilege and talk about ways of dismantling systems of oppression and white white privilege and white supremacy and oppressive structures. And it's a bunch of, you know, workshops and basically a bunch of whining women and some men. But uh, Oh, yeah, the videos are up. You can watch it in all of its glory. Was, on the front. They actually call them white supremacist consciousness or something, and, and then they say, not to be confused with white supremacism pure, or, you know, simple white supremacism. Uh, what, what yeah, no, that, well, the, the, the point is here, they, the whites have, what they found is like, you know, a hostile computer seeking a port on a foreign computer to get in and mess up its its system, and that's what they found in whites, is that they have this capacity to be fair, or to look at things from a different point of view, whereas all the other races just look at what's good for us. Fuck them. What's good for us? Whites need right. to get more like that to protect themselves. They have to intellectually understand, they, use they, their superior they need an IQ to understand firewall. what's going on to fight back. Yeah, yeah, we need an eth- yeah, good way to put it. Yeah. We need an ethnic firewall and say, look, that's why we identify it's not just some 22-year-old kid. He's a fucking kike. You know, it's not just this rabbi. He's a fucking kike. He's saying revenge. Well, where does that come from? Well, they don't believe non-Jews are humans. You have to understand these ethnic battles going on and you'll never get that from the media and from a brainwashed public who's been trained that to be white is to be guilty or, or not to exist at all in any positive sense. And they actually have a whole pseudo-academic discipline devoted to inculcating guilt in white people, white women in particular. And also, uh, under the right circumstances, if you were unwilling to kill someone because you're somehow 
have a superstition that you're going to uh, suffer some eternal damnation because of it. Uh, th- this is yeah, a weakness, you're, you're, too. You're a sinner or you're immoral if you generalize based on behavior that you observe in the world. It's never immoral to use your brain to figure things out. And yet that's what these whites have been trained. That uh, And you see it in, I, I see it in, our, I read this stuff pretty extensively last night. And, you know, the woman is, I learned that I shouldn't immediately shut down my feelings like she would have an inadvertent natural reaction to say nigger behavior and uh, being a good white woman she was trying to shut it down so they're trying to reteach her to no you shouldn't just shut down your anti your racist feeling you should take it out and use it as a chance to learn but not learn the obvious thing like yeah you're right you are correctly seeing what's going on and responding to it but to unlearn your racism and linger on it and and reinterpret it correctly in line with their orthodoxy right another technique they used I was watching on on the film that was up on poblong.com was uh, they started with a confession of a white woman who said, you know, I did think about it and at the end of the day uh, if I had a choice, I would choose to be white. And so they took this natural, (laughs) honest inclination of hers and turned it into a bad Uh, thing as if... She didn't lose all her marbles then. (laughs) Yeah, it was this self admission (laughs) that she was a racist and therefore she all of a sudden understood what it it meant to be underprivileged. So they they Mm -hmm. take the natural and pervert it into their own communist manifesto. And I I recommend all viewers or listeners check this film out because it is just so disturbing. And they have that one Harvard professor up there, this black mulatto guy. He he comes across like a psychopath. He is just a complete nut. Tim Wise is up there, a bunch of anti-racist people. That's the guy who cannot pronounce the word privilege. He says privilege. Privilege. (laughs) Just a real coterie of psychotic personalities lecturing and hectoring whites who were probably forced to be there in the first place no the thing is they they've got all their their political work is masqueraded as academic work so it's funded by the state because all these people are hired as you know professors of sociology or whatever so they live a good you know middle class life while they carry on their radical subversion while whining about privilege which is the ultimate joke you know yeah they're the privilege did you see that picture you guys saw that picture on Vogue magazine with with a basketball player and he looked like King Kong, yeah. and he has that Giselle, that Brazilian, uh, she's a white the model. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Annie Leibovitz took that picture, and of course, she's a Jewess, artificially inseminated at the age of 52, she gave birth, uh, would never say who the father was, lived in the same building, and was constantly photographed with Susan Sontag, a uh, real name, Su- Susan Rosenblatt, and, and so they were two dykes, and uh, made a lot of photos there, and got in with, uh, with Jan Winter at 20 years old, or 19, I guess she became a photographer for Rolling Stone, and and uh, a very homely Jewess. And uh, there she is, fast-tracking. And the queen told her off, I guess, at one point, uh, recently in a photo shoot. But, I mean, and there she is taking the race-mixing photo and making a big thing of it on Vogue, you see? I mean... Mm-hmm. Yeah, the gorilla and, if, and the white damsel. Yeah, that's right. And if people think we're making captiousness out of it or something, or, or somehow being... Uh, having some sort of what do they call it? medicalization of de- of, uh, of uh, descent, like the the Soviet Jews called it, medicalization of descent. That's what we are, crazy, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we cite case after case after case, and then people say, oh, it's anecdotal. Could be white too. So all of these people who don't think like that, I hope I live long enough to see the day when some of them just get murdered. When they say, you know what, we're in a war now. We're in a civil war. You either get with the program, or, or you know what, it's, whoever's got the more armaments is going to pop you. And uh, if there's civil disorder in the United States. That's what happens to societies. It didn't happen in the Soviet Union, but the Soviet Unions, I think I, I think those people had their heads screwed on better because of long-term scientific and, and civic education. But th- these kids in the United States, the ones 
30 and below in general, they're cook puppies. They cannot reason, by and large. They've been taught exception. that reasoning is immoral. They, they've reached the conclusion that any kind of generalization is evil, just like they think racism is a sin. I mean, racism is a generalization from behavior, and they've been taught to disregard all generalizations. Yeah, well, Jane, where, tell them where they can deprogram. Oh, yeah, I have this program. Uh, it's called Deprogram. <laughs> it's not ebonics for all you wiggers out there. It's uh, Deprogram. That's what we want to do. And I got the idea from ages, actually, because uh, he was running a live magazine on Mogulus, a live magazine of videos, you know, like a weapon magazine. I call it a magazine, and uh, they had a big effect, like the one about the, uh, the two-part one about the Israeli Supreme Court and all the Kabbalistic symbols there and all the hate symbols they have. Like the uh, the uh, pyramid on the back of your dollar bill and all those things. It's right there on the roof. Uh, ley lines, which are sort of witchy lines, you know. Uh, magical this, magical that. So, so this uh, is a live tall video tales. show called Deprogram. Yeah, 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 that's right. I talk on live. I, I think I'm probably a little more calmer than I have been here this evening. I hope so. And so w- when is it on? What what times are you live streaming? Uh, that's uh, 5 a.m. Talon. I'm in Talon, Estonia. It's 11 p.m. on the East Coast. 10 Central, 9 Mountain, and uh, 8 Cali Kosovo time. Okay, but mm-hmm. it does change, so I guess people have to do have to tune in to Pablon.com to find out the new new times. But you are live streaming daily, that is correct. Yeah, it's, it's streaming every day, and uh, I just uh, go up there and talk, and talk about news and everything. It, it's kind of like a, like what Alex is doing on the radio, except uh, I'm not as good as Alex, but I, I have to do it, because I'm old, and you know what? I, I lived in a different I'm not America. doing it daily. I yeah, da- daily is a real commitment. It's good stuff, yeah. well, and God knows it's do. needed. Because I've Excellent. seen over here these beautiful people, and it was how I remember the United States when I was young, I mean, my family and my cousins, and, and that's how it is here. And uh, there's no reason mm-hmm. it can't be like that again, but we have to redraw boundaries, and first we have to convince our people that we are a people, real basic stuff. It's, it's like teaching a fucking remedial kindergarten to you people. Now, I'm not talking about the white nationals who are listening. Mm-hmm. You know? well, this is exciting. Well, we're a people. At we're some a people point, on the planet, uh, and we're under the gun, and, and, and our numbers are dwindling. We're not replacing ourselves with a birth rate any place, no place. And we're not the source of the world's ills, just the opposite, actually, I would say. Mm, Yeah. And uh, 8% of the world and, and plummeting.